Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it off them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. Well, friends, we're looking this morning at these verses, and my subject is sleeping believers, sleeping believers. We're continuing our studies in this amazing book of Jonah, so short and yet so filled with so many wonderful lessons uh, for us all. Jonah, as we said before, just to recapitulate, Jonah is on the run. Jonah is on the run from God. He's running from the presence of God, running from his God-given task. God had told him, go and preach to Nineveh. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to go. And so he ran in the opposite direction. He was very happy to remain in Israel. He was very happy to be a prophet to Israel. He didn't mind speaking God's word uh, to them, but he didn't want to go all the way to Nineveh. Not really because it was a long journey. It was a long journey. Not because the task was arduous. So much it was arduous. It was a difficult. Not because he had to go alone uh, completely. Yes, that all contributed, but it was because he didn't really want God to be merciful to the Ninevites. The Ninevites were Gentiles, the enemy of Israel. Why should they receive mercy from God? Why should the God of Israel be the God of the Ninevites too? Why should God have compassion on them? He had no feeling for them. They were lost. They were, they were sinners, yes, it's true. They were desperate sinners. They were wicked sinners. They were evil. They were immoral. They were rebellious. They were violent people. But still, their God's mercy was extend, wanted to be extended to them. But he didn't want them to receive mercy. There was little feeling of compassion in their heart. God felt for the Ninevites, but Jonah didn't. That's why he wanted to run in the other direction. And so we see him fleeing uh, to Tarshish, some 2,000 miles away to southern Spain, going westward instead of eastward to Tarshish. We said last week, well, the Lord was not going to leave him alone. He got in the boat, he sailed away nicely and calmly at the beginning. The skies were blue, the sea was, was calm, but very soon we saw how the Lord sent out a great wind. The Lord hurled a great wind in his direction. The Lord hurled that wind uh, to bring Jonah back. It was with the purpose and the intention of bringing back the wayward, wandering, fugitive prophet, to bring him back to his senses, to bring him back to his commission, to bring him back also to himself. But friends, notice here, just before we move on to verse 5, Notice how uh, it's not just Jonah who was affected by the wind and the storm that raged. It was all the mariners in the ship, 
all the other passengers who were in the ship, they were also in great danger. The whole ship is affected. You read the, the ship was like to be broken. The ship was in very real danger of being broken to pieces. And the lives of all who were on board were in grave danger. Very soon they felt uh, that their life would be lost. They would be drowned in the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Any time that ship could give way, and it seemed already to be happening before their very eyes, they could see it being battered by the waves uh, and uh, it being broken up. And they felt all that they were going to perish. Not only this ship, it's thought also that there were other ships, must have been other ships there on the Mediterranean, sailing along in different directions. And they too were affected because by, by the storm. And all because of Jonah. All because Jonah is running away from the Lord. All because of Jonah's disobedience. That's why the wind came that's why others are affected. Well, this is not the only time we read of one person affecting many. We read, we read in the book of Joshua of a time when uh, something similar happened, and we read of Achan there. And Achan did what he ought not to have done, and he took of the Babylonish garment, and he took wedges of gold, which he was not meant to do when they were in fighting in battle, and he went and hid it uh, under the, the ground in his tent. And because of his sin, the Israel lost the battle. Israel went to war, thought they would win it so easily. They didn't send out as many men as they would usually. They said, oh, this is a small battle. We can do it with a small number. But they were routed. And they lost 36 men or so. And one man's sin, though, affected uh, Israel. And Joshua, you remember, he said to Achan, when Achan was found, was found out, why hast thou troubled us? You, one person, have brought all this trouble upon the whole nation. And you could think also of King David. King David, so wonderful in so many ways. We're so loath sometimes to talk about his sins because he really was a man after God's own heart. But you remember how one time, pride got to him, and he wanted to count. He said to his general, go and count all the people, all the men in, my, in the nation. So let's see how many men I've got. Let's see how many soldiers I've got. How great is my army? And the general tried to d deter him. Don't do that, he said. Don't do that. But David was determined. But it was an act of pride on his part. He wasn't just trying to find out the numbers, but he, was, he wanted... Uh, he did it out of pride and, and self-glorying. And the Lord brought judgment. The Lord sent an, the angel, and the angel went and destroyed so many of the people. And you remember that in, uh, uh, in 1 Samuel 24, or sorry, 2 Samuel 24, where he said, David said, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? 70,000 people were affected. No, 70,000 people were killed lost their lives because of David's sin. But he said, I have done wickedly. What have these sheep done was his prayer to the Lord. Well, friends, it's a, an early lesson for us as well, isn't it? That if I backslide from the Lord, if I go away from Him, it's not only me that's affected, it's also those who are around me. 
the Lord, if I am the Lord's, He will come after me. If He doesn't come after me, that's a worrying sign. If I'm backslidden and I, I go away from the Lord and I don't receive any chastisement, that should make me worry even more. Why is nothing ha bad happening to me, as, as it were? Because I'm away from Him. But if I backslide from the Lord, then friends, He will surely, because He loves me, He will, he will chasten me. He goes after His children, not in a, a way to hurt them and harm them, but to bring them back uh, to Himself. But the point is, a backslider affects others also because when the Lord does chastise that backslider, not only he's affected, but others around him too. It may be his family or his workmates or even his brethren in the church may be affected. A person may be chastised. One method the Lord may use is through a loss of income. He suddenly finds his, his income goes down. He may lose his job, maybe even, something like that. And he may go into debt. And not he, only he feels it, but his wife feels it, his children feels it, and the church feels it because he can no longer contribute uh, to the Lord's work. He can no longer uh, give. Or it may be that this backslider, he becomes so disturbed in his conscience. He becomes so agitated and so irritable a person and not a very pleasant person to be around because he knows that things are not right in his soul and instead of putting things right with God he continues in that backslidden state and he gets irritable at the slightest thing and uh, he's lost his hold on the Lord and so he snaps very easily at the slightest thing he snaps and instead uh, of uh, being a blessing to his family and his uh, others around him, he becomes a little bit more of a trouble and a burden uh, to them. Well, friends, uh, this is, uh, this is a, a lesson, isn't it, for us, uh, us all. But instead of being a trouble, we can look at it the other way around, positively. We may be a blessing to others. Just as uh, Paul was, we read that long uh, chapter, that long account of the ship, shipwreck that he was in. What a difference compared to Jonah. Jonah has, is the cause of this shipwreck. Jonah is the cause of the storm. But with the, in the other case, uh, with Paul, yes, the storm came. Yes, they also had to uh, get rid of all the things which are on the ship. Yes, the ship was lost, but the lives, 276 lives were saved because Paul was on the ship. God saved everyone because Paul was there. His servant was there. Through Paul's presence, blessing came to all those who were on the ship with him. Well, I can be like that. I may be a saver of life unto others. I don't have to be a source of discouragement or pain to others. My prayers, friends, uh, my witness, my life uh, towards, uh, towards others can be for good. I can affect others in this way, in such a wonderful way. My life can be used to save others from hell, from eternal punishment, from eternal woe. What a blessing that can be if we are engaged in personal prayer and personal witness, thinking about these things. Such we should aim uh, to be. But let's uh, move on. Verse 5. And we just look, because there's so much just in these verses, that the mariners were afraid. 
and cried every man to, unto his God, filled with dread. Now oh, these were no weaklings. <laughs> They're sailors. They're hardy men. They're strong men. Uh, they're used to difficulties. They're used uh, to uh, storms. They're used to boisterous uh, sea journeys as well. They're hardened men. And yet, this particular storm alarmed them. This particular storm caused them to shake in their boots. This particular storm terrorized them and threw them into a panic. And as we see them uh, as a one, they're afraid. And as a final resort, well, they turn to prayer and they turned to pray to their idols. Every man cried unto his God. Oh, friends, uh, there, are, there may be some strong, sturdy, resilient men and women among us uh, today, and there are many in the world, isn't there, who say they're strong, they can withstand anything. Whatever life throws at me, I can manage it. I don't need God. I can handle life off my, by myself. I'm strong. I can do it. I'm great. Can we, friends? Can we really? Are we really so strong? Who am I, really? Oh, friends, really, I'm a weakling. I'm a weakling. I'm a very limited creature. There's only so much you and I can do. There's only so much mankind can do. Even if you put all men and women together, if you put all, the, all of us together as a race, we are so limited in what we can do. There is so much we can't do. There is so much that is outside of our control. There are so many situations that we come across in life, just like the storm came uh, upon these sailors and the ship, and they couldn't manage. It was something outside of their control, and they realized that there was someone greater and higher than them. So also life throws at us things which we realize are greater and bigger than we are. And we are so limited. We are so weak in those situations. Our powers are so severely small. We can't stop ourselves getting sick. We can't stop our children getting sick. We don't want that to happen. We can't stop it happening. We've got no power to stop it happening. You can't say to a disease, a gene, you don't come near my children. We wish we could. We cannot stop the aging process. We wish we could. We cannot say to, to death when it comes, you have no power over me. Go away. I'm not ready for you. It's stronger than we are. What can we do? We are weak, friends. We are weak. We are afraid. Just like these people, these situations, don't they? They make us afraid. And it shows to us that we need God. We need a higher being. We need to be dependent on the living God. This is uh, our life. Oh, it's foolish to think we are so wonderful we can manage without the God. Well, in the midst of this life-threatening storm, these sailors, they prayed. <laughs> they prayed. They cried every man to his God. That's what people do. And life is fine. They don't pray. And they're in trouble. They do. When they're in trouble, they cry to God. Isn't this just what happens today? This has happened so many years ago, thousands of years ago, and yet the same thing, people are still the same today. They don't pray in trouble in, in a, when things are fine, but in trouble they do. Well, I don't want to be unfair to these mariners, these sailors. Perhaps they really were religious people. We don't really know. It doesn't say. 
Perhaps they did pray often, or perhaps they prayed not at all. We are not really sure. But here in the storm, they, as a final resort, uh, pray. That's the natural response. That's natural instinct of their hearts and their minds is, I mean, we're in trouble. There's a greater being than we are. Let's pray to him. It may be he will have mercy upon us. It may be he will remove this storm from us. And that's what they did. I heard of a man. He was crossing the Atlantic Ocean uh, single-handedly. Uh, not a Christian man, but he as well. His, his boat uh, came up into some uh, difficult waters. And he went through a great storm as well. And he too felt he's not going to survive it. I'm not going to make it, he said. And he prayed in that time. And he prayed to God for mercy. And he prayed God to save him uh, from his ordeal. In his great distress, he turned to prayer. And God heard him. God had mercy upon this man. And he was brought miraculously uh, to, to land on the other side. And he arrived safe and sound. Did he turn to God then? Did he give thanks to God? Did he begin to live for God? No. He went back to his old ways. He went back to his sins. Yes, the storm is over, but now he's gone back to his own ways. All he wanted was the storm to cease. In a sense, that's what these sailors wanted as well. Pray to God. Not pray to Him for forgiveness. Not pray to Him for mercy. Just pray, take away the storm. That's what the, uh, the, the shipmaster said to Him. We're going to perish. We're going to die. Our lives need to be saved. Pray. And so many are like that. They just want the storms of life, the problems of life to go away. Oh God, take away these problems. We don't like these problems. Help us. And when they, He does, as He does often here, even the prayers sometimes of unbelievers to encourage them to come to Him. When He takes those away, well, they return back to sin. And they forget to be thankful to Him. And there's no response to Him, oh friends. But look at this, the natural instinct in each one of us, wherever you are, you can't deny it, is that there is a God. There is someone who is greater than us. There is somebody who, to whom we are accountable. We cannot deny it. It's a part of our makeup. But let's move on. Here's another lesson the storms of life teaches. In, in verse 5, uh, they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. The cargo is thrown overboard. What's the use of this cargo now? Our lives are perishing. The ship is about to be broken. We're about to be sunk. We might, what's the, we might as well try our best to save the ship. Let's throw all the possessions, all that we're carrying from one port to another for trade and so on. Let's chuck all this in the sea and lighten the, sh the, the, the boat. That may save us. When it comes to the crunch, life is always more important than possessions. We know that. That's how we act. Then, friends, why do we put so much value in possessions? Why do we put so much attention to gain, to filling our lives with possessions? Yes, possessions have a place. Yes, we need things in our homes and so on. But why put such an emphasis upon the things of the world? We don't need uh, to uh, be like that. Remember the Lord taught, the lesson the Lord taught His disciples along these same lines, the life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. Our souls are much more precious 
than what we have? Or does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? Friends, possessions should be held onto very lightly and disposed of if need be like, like, uh, like this in order uh, if the Lord calls us to do that. But what was Jonah doing all the while the storm was raging? Look at verse 5. The mariners were afraid and so on, but Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Jonah, sound asleep, fast asleep, sound asleep. As we said last week, snoring is some, some versions say, in a deep sleep. It's amazing, friends, to see him in this condition. There he is. He stretched out on his bed. He's lay, the words there, he lay. He stretched out on that bed in the cabin. He found a cabin to lay in, uh, a bed to lay in, and he stretched out, sleeping away. How could he sleep? How could he sleep? The ship is reeling to and fro. The waves are beating hard against that, the, the, that ship, rocking the boat backwards and forwards. The sailors are running up and down overboard uh, on the top deck. And the pounding, the feet is pounding back for, they're doing everything that they can to try and stop the ship from sinking. They're shouting one to another, get this, get that, do a t- pay attention to this and that. And he's sleeping. They're praying, they're crying aloud to their gods, savers to their idols. And Jonah is fast asleep, unmoved by these things insensible to all the danger that is he, the ship is in. How can it be? It's so astonishing. We don't want to be over-critical of him, he, but he was guilty of sleeping, and he deserved this rebuke, this very sharp rebuke uh, from the shipmaster. But why was he sleeping? Perhaps he was so overcome uh, with the fatigue of his journey. He'd come a long way from uh, Gath Hefer, sapped off that physical energy. Oh, that may have been one cause of his weariness, but also all along he'd been fighting against that guilty conscience, that conscience that gave him no peace, that conscience that wouldn't allow him uh, alone, wouldn't allow him to take a step without condemning, condemning him, that conscience he had to uh, deal with again and again. And for relief, it seems, from all this tension, he turns to his bed and he turns into a cabin to sleep. He's lost his quietness in his mind. That self-possession is gone, and uh, he looks for a panacea from his ills by sleeping. Well, friends, it was only when the ship's captain uh, barged into his cabin and confronted him with this sharp rebuke that he awoke. What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Don't you know, he's saying, don't you know that we're in grave danger, Jonah? The ship is on the verge of giving way. And are you sleeping? All the others are calling upon their gods, but you're not calling upon your God. We're in a desperate situation. We are beyond a human help. And you are sleeping away, Jonah. What meanest thou, O sleeper? Wake up, call upon your God. He may hear your prayer. He may save us from death. Pray, man, pray, he seems to be saying to Jonah. What an irony in this rebuke. What an irony, friends. Jonah was sent by God to the Ninevites to rebuke them. 
for their sin. And here is the shipmaster, a heathen man, rebuking a righteous man, Jonah, for his sin. Shouldn't be, isn't it? Well, friends, do I need the rebuke? Am I a sleeping believer? Am I a prayerless believer? One who doesn't call upon God. Does it need to be said? What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon God to me. The world is perishing without Jesus Christ. People all around us are heading for everlasting damnation, everlasting punishment. People are heading into an eternity without God, without goodness, without love. Day after day, moment by moment, people are perishing without forgiveness of sins, going into eternity without salvation. And can I be unmoved? Can I be untouched by what is happening to them? Can I mourn and weep when I see sometimes those adverts on TV about people starving in different nations and we should be moved? Can I be moved by those things? and not be moved by people perishing for lack of spiritual food and salvation and faith and going into eternity? Does it not stir me, friends? Do I have no feeling, no compassion? Oh, they deserve that maybe. I hope not. I don't think so. We don't think we're like that. But maybe we're lacking in compassion. Do I engage in earnest intercession and prayer for their salvation? Do I cry to God, for those who are in my ship especially, my immediate family members who are unsaved, my colleagues around me, my friends, uh, my, the unsaved friends in my congregation where I attend, do I pray for them? Am I thinking of their salvation? Or am I spiritually fast asleep, oblivious to their plight? Oh, friends, that would be an astonishment do you remember something that astonished God in Isaiah? Isaiah 59, verse 16. God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. The word they wondered is astonished. God was astonished that no one was standing in the gap. No one was praying. Oh, friends, uh, it may not be said of us, but perhaps it does, that I need that particular rebuke. Brethren, if the believer doesn't pray, he is all the more culpable because his prayers actually prevail with God. His prayers get through to God. His prayers, God hears. God has promised to hear their cries. Dear brother and sister, if you are a believer here, you're, through your prayer, the storm will be stilled. Through your prayer, situations will change. Through your intercession, souls will be saved. Through your intercession, the church will grow. Your prayers are effective. Through your prayers, closed doors open. God hears the prayers of His people. Your prayers really make a difference in this world. And then, can we keep quiet? Contrast that, friends, with the prayers of these sailors or the prayers of those who pray to idols. They're ineffective. They don't reach higher than the ceiling. They don't reach to God. But your prayers do. Your prayers make a tremendous difference, friends. 
or look at the words of the shipmaster. He, he doesn't even have hope. Uh, uh, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. We don't know. Perhaps uh, it, he may have mercy upon us. Maybe he will have mercy. There's no assurance that God is going to hear their prayer. But we are different. God hears our prayer. But Jonah couldn't pray. Jonah couldn't pray. Why not? Why couldn't Jonah pray? Well, because his accusing conscience stood in his way. His disobedience is still outstanding with God. There is, uh, God uh, is unhappy with him still. We don't read actually of him actually praying for the storm to go away. The first time we read of him praying was when he was actually in the fish's belly. And then he started chapter 2, verse 1. Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Friends, without, if there is something outstanding between God and me, if I'm in a backslidden state, I cannot pray for God to bless me and expect Him to hear me. Confession must come first. Repentance must come first. And then God will hear again my prayer. That's what must happen first. Is there some sin between me and my God? Am I indulging in some immoral activity? So giving myself to something which is impure or some great sin which is affecting my relationship with God? Oh, God won't hear my prayer for blessing. I must put things right with God. And then repentance first and then the blessing will come again from the Lord. But finally, as we move towards the close, we see that uh, Jonah, well, he, he actually deserved uh, this sharp rebuke, didn't he? because he was giving a bad testimony. All hands are on deck. Everyone's running to and fro. Everyone is trying their best to do their part uh, to help save the ship. Only Jonah is asleep in his bed. Only Jonah uh, is, uh, is, is doing uh, nothing. Oh, friends, what a bad testimony that was to the shipmaster and to all the others who heard about it. But it's the storms of life, friends, are an opportunity for us. The things that we face, the troubles, the difficulties that we face, uh, are an opportunity for you and I as God's people uh, to showcase our faith to the world. We have an opportunity to testify, yes, through personal witness, if we have those opportunities come our way. We testify through our lives, but especially when we also are called to go through difficult times and troubling times, we have an opportunity even there uh, to uh, make known the Savior, especially, we could say, in times of trouble. Troubles are common uh, to us all. Troubles are common uh, to all kinds of people. And uh, we, we as well, are, uh, as Christians, are not exempt uh, from those things. But we're different because we have Christ in the vessel. We have Christ with us, aiding us and uh, helping us. We have Christ's comforts. We have Christ's promises as God's people when we're going through those difficult times. We have the Lord's assurances uh, that He will be with us in those troubling times. Oh, friends, we have a hold on God that the unbeliever doesn't have, a hold that enables us to respond to God, uh, respond rather to our difficulties in a different way. The grace of God enables us to face it in a different way 
to the unbeliever. Those afflictions, those adversities that come our way, we ought as well to see them as opportunities uh, to present a positive, uh, f positively to commend the faith that we profess to, that, to those who are watching us. It's a hard thing, maybe you're saying, to, well, it's, a, it's something that we are also called to do. I think of that powerful testimony of a believer's funeral. What can be worse than losing a loved one? What can be sad to lose a loved one? We also as believers, well, we're not exempt from the pain of it, the sadness of it, the grief of it, of losing that one. But hopelessness? No. There's no hopelessness at a Christian funeral, but an assurance, a certainty, that even the one who has left us is only for a short time, that we will see that, that brother, that sister, that wife, that child, that friend, uh, who, we, who we loved so much, we will see them again face to face in glory. Contrast that with the hopelessness, the utter loss, the unbearable grief of an unbeliever's funeral. Oh, what a powerful testimony such an event is. And friends, that is what God uh, calls us to. And I close just with this, another uh, testimony, and I'm sure you're you're aware of these things. I want to take you to one more storm. And uh, this is a storm that happened in 1736 when John Wesley was going as a missionary from England uh, to Georgia and the United States. He thought he was a Christian, but he wasn't really converted uh, truly at that time. But he was, uh, he was traveling on this ship, and on board the ship were also German Moravians, uh, Christians, and uh, while they were on their voyage, well, they were in the midst of a natural meeting on board, and uh, they were actually singing a psalm. And a great storm uh, took place uh, during uh, that particular time, a life-threatening storm, and the waves came into the boat. And John Wesley himself, well, he was terrified, uh, and so were many others on the boat. But these German Moravian Christians, well, they were still they were not panicking. They just carried on singing the psalm. They finished the psalm. And were they afraid? No, not at all. John Wesley asked them later, weren't you afraid during that storm? And they, saw, they said, no. Weren't your wives and your children afraid? And they said, no. They were not afraid to die. What a testimony in the midst of a storm. And that so spoke to John Wesley, that so touched him, and made him see that they had something that he didn't have. What a positive uh, testimony that was. So friends, I leave it there. This is a call uh, to us uh, to pray. To pray. What a power we have in our hands to pray. And to be a good testimony uh, to others. To recommend, to commend to the world the great Savior that we have. Well, may the Lord make us a blessing to those about us. Let's sing our final hymn, number 445. We have not loved thee as we ought. 445.